Welcome back to Heart to Talk, the podcast, season two. I'm your host, Teresa Caesar, and you are tuned in to episode 13. My unanswered prayers, this mystery makes me smile in grateful puzzlement, for I have no explanation as to why the tears we shed over our failures prepare our souls for the growth we will need for our future successes. Sarah Banbronick, author. She happens to be one of my most favorite authors and has really inspired me immensely and pivoted me into the direction for the work that I do now. So in addition to this podcast, I love teaching other women how to reach and reconcile their deepest spiritual desires so that it allows their authenticity and creative expression to flourish. I also love to preach to everyone that rejections and the setbacks are the universe's way of redirecting you into where you need to be and where you belong. There are no mistakes. And if you can view life in that way and really just celebrate your life, you will enter a reality that empowers you. That brings me to today's guest, Joseph Blair. He is well known for his four amazing seasons with the Arizona Wildcats, where he was on the squad that advanced to the 1994 NCAA Final Four. After his incredible success in college basketball, he had an amazing professional international career. He then came back to the States for some time and was a member with the Harlem Globetrotters. Today, he is known as Coach Blair. He is the assistant coach for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He was formerly the Philadelphia 76ers assistant coach. I'm honored to share with you his account of how he's evolved into the man he is today. He believes that God had a plan for him or else he wouldn't be where he is today. I bring to you my conversation with the spiritual and vegan coach, Joseph Blair. There's just so many different aspects of you. People know you, of course, and your basketball career when you played here at Arizona and people adore you in this community. And then you went on to have a career internationally and then you're a father and now a coach. So what brought you to become the Joseph Blair today? Tell us your story. You know, I think that we're all made up of our struggles, our joys, everything that we've experienced in our past defines who we become and who we are. And I I like to think that my mother did give me a good foundation as far as my spirituality and my acknowledgement of the world around me. But as I grew and as I evolved as a, as a man and as a person, as I lived my life, uh, especially my international experiences, really give me a better view of humanity and community and what it really means. And I try to transfer over what I see and what I felt internally, uh, externally as much as possible uh, to try to affect the lives of those people around me. And I think that's kind of my my overwhelming goal in life is just to try to leave a positive impression on those around me. And, you know, mind you, it doesn't always work out the way I'd like. But the, the point is that I take it all as lessons learned and everything that happens, even though at the moment it might be perceived as negative and it turns around and ends up being a positive for my life and my growth. You know, what brought me to where I am today to answer your question is just, you know, the grace of God, quite frankly, I've been through so much in my life and uh, just the understanding of God had a plan for me or I wouldn't be where I am today. That's beautiful. That's a perfect way to answer that question. 
So also you are a father. You want to tell us anything about what being a father has done for you as a man? It changed my life dramatically. My oldest son, uh, Jordan, he's 26 now. I had him actually while I was at, most people don't realize this, but I was playing at the U of A while I had my son. It was right after my sophomore year. I grew up quick. It matured me quite quickly. I think that being a father also was the dynamic that spurred me into my professionalism in basketball. I really took my professionalism and the way I approach my approach to the game and at a whole different level because at that point I realized that you know it's either sink or swim I need to provide for my family I need to provide for my son and so I credit a lot of being a father to what drove me to be such a good basketball player in my time and then you know my younger two sons Joseph and Jason both are, are Italian they were born in Italy And I think that also established part of my perspective on community and just us as humans on a global perspective, because, you know, it's easy for us to get caught up thinking the world is exactly like the environment and community we live in, when quite frankly, it's not that way whatsoever. People globally and even across town or across the country are experiencing different things and the need of different things. And just that desire to see my son succeed and feed into the process of their success really affected me as a human, affected me as a man, being a father. Uh, Also, in my coaching um, role now, I deal with a lot of these guys I'm dealing with are the same age as my oldest son. So it's really helped me to uh, communicate with them better. And then you understand quickly, and I think all the parents who are listening can understand this, you have to find at least three to four different ways to say the exact same thing before they'll actually listen to what you're saying. And really so true. I love that. That's what coaching is all about. You know, it might be clean your room, uh, pick up your clothes. Can you please clean your room? Uh, it'd be nice if your room was clean. And it's kind of the same thing. You have to find different ways to really address and attack a certain problem. So being a father is also helping my problem solving techniques as well. So, I mean, there's a multitude of things I think I could go on and on. But I think anyone that's a parent knows that your life is never the same once you become a parent. Uh, obviously, And the other thing is you always wish you could be a better parent. And as you have multiple kids, you realize all the mistakes you made with the first one or the second one, even from my my, uh, experience. And you just constantly are trying to evolve and become better. And you beat yourself up and you just hope that your kids know that you love them. And it also helps my relationship with my mother as well as I became a parent myself. So there's so many different aspects of life in which becoming a parent really contributes to. And that being said, your two younger sons, are Italian. Do you speak Italian? <laughs> I do. I speak fluent Italian. It's interesting because, you know, with my younger kids, I, I don't speak English at all with them, which is probably bad on my side. But because I was far away from them for so long, I remember when they were young, trying to speak English to them over the phone. And it was such a battle. So I just kind of gave in. And now we only speak Italian all the time. So now they're better at English, but we've gone so many years with just speaking Italian that, uh, that's all we do. The hardest part is when I have all three kids together because my oldest doesn't speak Italian. So, uh, you know, that my mind is very tired at the end of the day. I'll say that much. Oh, my goodness. So do you have a special phrase that you say in Italian to your, your boys? Not particularly. Ciao. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you always, I think the biggest thing in, in, my, in my experience, and this comes with whether it's in English or Italian or Russian or whatever language you speak, is would be ti voglio bene. Ti voglio bene means I love you. 
And oh, that's that's you always want to tell your kids, you don't want to ever try to go away without them knowing that. And I'm honestly, as I say that now, I wish I say it more often. So I appreciate this reminder. Yes. I love it. I, I love it. So now can we talk about your coaching career? Do you feel you are living your purpose? I, I say yes, because I would always say yes, regardless, because I think that every step I make is according to God's plan for my life. I don't think this is the end of the road or end of the plan, that's for sure. But the way in which I became a coach is really untraditional, quite frankly. And then my ascension in the coaching world has been so astronomical that I, that I recognize completely it was God's plan. One of the things that uh, i I remember when I interviewed for the position with the Sixers last year, it was just telling my story. And I think the head coach got such a kick out of the story I was telling at the time. Most people don't know, actually, but I was in Tucson. And as everyone knows, I was in Tucson, at least locally. I was very heavily involved in the community. That was my my goal at the time was just to better our community. I still, even though I haven't lived in Tucson for years, I still consider myself a Tucsonan. And I'm in love with that community, and I'll always feel that way about Tucson. And it got to a point where I was approached by a couple of people to get into the political realm in Tucson. And I was somewhat hesitant about it. And one of the main things I knew I needed to take care of was to finish my degree. Uh, I had yet to finish my bachelor's degree, even though I went to University of Arizona for four years. And so I decided, you know, this was the time for me to do so. I uh, found out some information about getting into coaching, really just so my education could be paid for. All of the people that know how expensive college can be. Yeah. I at the time was pretty frugal and didn't want to spend the money to finish up school. So I reached out to Coach Miller at Arizona. And uh, the first summer I reached out, uh, nothing really transpired. And I uh, went on anyway to go ahead and start taking some of the classes I could take at Pima at the time. Big ups to Pima Community College there in Tucson. Yeah. Um, Yay, I went to Pima too. <laughs> I, I took some of the core courses that I still need to finish or, or even replace. And the next summer, I was out walking my dog, and Coach Miller gave me a call and asked me, "Say, hey, remember what we talked about? Would you like to? Would you like to maybe come back and, you know, revisit that situation?" I said, "Of course, I'd love to." I wanted to be be a University of Arizona graduate, so I uh, became an undergraduate assistant coach at the University of Arizona. And uh, a lot of the things I was charged with was working out the players, and one in particular was Caleb Tarzuski. I'm still very close to Caleb to this oh, day. Oh, he's great, yeah. And uh, we worked together quite a bit, and I remember it was one of the preseason games. He made a move during the game that uh, we had been working on for a long time, and everyone on the bench turned and looked at me, and I was like, baby, that's all you. And at that point, I got goosebumps. I loved it, and I was like, this is it. I want to coach basketball. I love what I'm doing. And I was just really blessed when you look at from – being an undergraduate coach, I came back. I actually was offered the position in the G League after that first year, and I turned it down because I thought I could learn more under Coach Miller at University of Arizona. I went back another year as a graduate assistant. And mind you, I was a full-time student during all this time. So after not being in school for almost 20 years, things had changed quite a bit. So it, it took a lot of effort on my side, and I was still doing all the community work that I was doing while I was still coaching. And at that point, my oldest son had come to live with me as well. So it was, it was quite a challenge, but you know, nothing worth, uh, worth savoring uh, is, doesn't come with a lot of challenges. So yeah. at that point, I went on another year as a graduate assistant, and then I was offered the, the assistant coaching position again with the G League, with the Houston Rockets G League team. And I accepted it that year with Matt Brazzi was a head coach for the Tucsonas and no Matt Brazzi as Coach Olson's grandson and 
also a former University of Arizona player and coach. I spent three years as his assistant, was promoted to head coach. We won the championship my first year as a head coach. Yep, yep. And yeah, then, yeah. We watched that game in Wilbur's with your mom. Oh, very nice. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I was taken on with the Philadelphia 76ers, and here I am now at the Minnesota Timberwolves. So I just look back and think even when I was a head coach, the people that are interviewing to be my assistants were guys that had 20 years of experience, were head coaches in college for years. And I just know that this is God's plan for me to be where I'm at in such a short time. And really, even the way he brought about me getting into coaching for so long when I retired from playing was resistant to coaching. And the main reason was I I really wanted to get away from that stigma of uh, the uneducated athlete that could only deal with sports. And I think that my time in the community, my value I added to the community somewhat batutes, uh, gets goes against all those thoughts that people might have towards that. So now I'm very proud to be on this side of the, the spectrum, doing coaching, being a part of it, being the NBA. I mean, there's only 30 teams. There's only five coaches per team. There's only 150 of us that are coaches in the NBA. But I know that God's still not done with me yet. So I'm just living out this to the best of my ability and looking forward to what's in store next. Well, you'd mentioned about your work uh, in the community. Are you still heavily involved? Can you tell us about, because maybe there's a lot of people that don't know what impact um, you have on our Tucson community. It's interesting. I started when I was still playing basketball. I was still, I started doing basketball camps in the community, free of charge camps. And it was kind of generated through when I was in college, I worked at the Boys and Girls Club one summer. And my job at the time was just to go from clubhouse to clubhouse and helping with that leg director. And at the time, I realized that, uh, you know, this is back in the early 90s when gangs were pretty prevalent. And definitely in our Tucson community, not that they're not now, but it was really at the height of that that um, crisis. I realized the difference in the clubhouses and also how much um, animosity was built up between different areas of town. And my goal was to kind of bring that together. So what I did is I reached out to each one of those boys and girls clubs and I offered them spots in my camp to have those kids come together and play basketball together in my camp. And I put them on the same team together. And my goal was not only to create more community for them to get to know each other, but also I hope that it would uh, also also possibly um, create less tension. You know, let's just say these two, two groups of people might come against each other and they say, Hey, no, I know that guy. He played on my team. He's cool. Don't mess with him. And uh, just really help serve the community as best of my ability. And we expanded that and not only worked with Boys and Girls Club, we brought in other nonprofits as well. We really did a great job of reaching out. And then we expanded the program at one point where we're doing basketball clinics once a month as well, reaching over a thousand kids a year. And also my time in the community, I served on quite a few nonprofit boards. I think at one time I went to an event and you know they were asking people how many boards they're on. I was up to five or six boards I was serving on at the time. And I wish I could name them all because they're amazing organizations. Community Foundation of Southern Arizona was one I would definitely want to mention. They serve so many people in the community. I was a part of starting the African-American Initiative through the Community Foundation as well that serves a big portion of the community. Youth on their own, I was on their board for a while. Worked on their governance committee as well. Um, gosh, now, now that I started, I shouldn't have started because now I'm going to miss someone else and they're going to be mad at me. But I served on quite a few boards in the community and and also just did some consulting with other nonprofits as well. And then also on the city side, I was uh, part of the TCC commission as well, an appointing commission in the community to try to build the 
Tucson Convention Center, which I'm proud, very proud to say. I mean, if you look back at where we were even 10 years ago, 12 years ago with Convention Center, where we are now, I, I was on the ground when that evolution took place. So I'm very proud of that as well. But, you know, my biggest pride and joy, I guess, in the community is not so much the grander things, but the grassroots things that I can go out and about and be in a mall and hear a kid that went to my camp come up and say mm-hmm. hello to me. You know, one of the big things I'm about is just, you know, building community. Anyone that's ever seen me speak at an event, I've been seed events as well. I feel like I'm always missing something, but I am seed events as well. And one of the things I say every time I speak at an event or MC event, I just ask people to go say hello to someone you don't know. That's how we uh, start community. So the fact that people come up to me and say hello, that's kind of in line with the mission that I created to build a better community. I love that aspect of you, that you're willing to serve others and you are approachable and people just love that. They feel your warmth. So thank you for everything you've done in our community and you still are being felt here on like such a level. (laughs) You're like perfect for this episode because you are inspiring. You do serve others. And then I think of like the health and wellness component and you were probably one of the most uh, public people I've seen come out that I've known personally in your veganism, being a vegan. And I'm like, and that was before being vegan was like the thing. So what prompted you to like become a vegan? I have this conversation a lot. Actually, you are correct. It seems like it's more of a thing to be. I was a vegetarian for 10 years during my basketball career. And then I was pescatarian for three, for those who don't know, pescatarian is just eating fish only. And then I kind of fell off the wagon for about seven years and I was eating everything. And then um, uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time saw some documentary and called me and said, hey, I'm become vegan. And I said, you know what, if you're going to become vegan, I'm going to support you 100% and I'll become vegan as well. I was vegetarian at one point and and I definitely would, would never be the person to eat something in front of you when you're against it. And the more research I did into it and the more I understood it, the more I realized how long I'd been kind of blinded by the mass media as to what it meant to have a true diet, a healthy diet, and really compassionately speaking what I was really doing. I can tell you now I I will never go back to anything else. I will die vegan at a very old age. And I think that when I was vegetarian, a lot of my reasons were health-based reasons why I was vegetarian. Um, now that I'm vegan, my reasons are still very much health-based. In fact, and if anything, they're more profound, but also my reasons are very much compassionate-wise as well. I just don't feel that any living species should have to die for me to live, especially when it's an unnecessary death. And inhumane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you know what documentary is that? <laughs> I should watch it. Uh, I mean, honestly, I could send you quite a few actually i you know i started watching one and one led to the next and led next led to the next and i think one of the most impactful things you know i have certain statements that are very impactful for me as far as you know veganism wise i i think that you know um one of the one of them in particular that really i make that i think makes people think is uh i one speaker and i i i can't stand that i can't remember his name right now just says the beginning of racism Semitism, sexism, everything, all of that is based in our diet. And it's the first time in our lives we're introduced uh, to eating and we realize or we're told that one life means less than ours. And that comes with our diet. It's the first time when you eat a piece of chicken, your parents are basically telling you that the chicken's life means less than yours. Or it's a piece of steak that that cow's life means less than yours. 
And really, when you think about everything else I just mentioned, racism, sexism, Semitism, is exactly the same thing. Someone else's life means less than yours. We're taught that just like we're taught racism. You know, you put a baby in a in a crib with a carrot and a rabbit. They know instinctually to eat the carrot and play with the rabbit. They don't accidentally eat the rabbit and play with the carrot. Oh, interesting. So, Never heard it in that perspective. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, even physiologically speaking, if I put fresh strawberries and run them under your nose, you automatically start salivating because your body's instinctual wants to eat that. If I was to chop up a body right in front of you and take that raw meat and put it underneath your nose, you'd probably get nauseous. You wouldn't want to eat it. So, I mean, just instinctually and when I think in our prime state where we are vegans and our bodies are designed to eat that diet, and I really think that we brainwashed ourselves into believing that it's okay that animals are put here for our consumption. And I'm, I know that there's tons of people going to listen to this and say, but, 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 and I would love to have that conversation because I, I will say that I'm one of those people that I pretty much have an answer for everything you're going to say as to why <laughs> you still should be able to eat animals or other species, I should say, not animals. But um, I just, I'm a firm believer in compassion. Everything fights for its life. Anything that's going to fight for its life that you can poke and it'll move away because it doesn't want to be poked should not be eaten. Well, that's cool. I loved hearing your reasons why I didn't know the backstory and it's beautiful. I love it. All right. So before I like close it up with my ending questions, is there anything that you feel compelled to share since I have you on? Um, Anything else that, um, did I forget to ask you something really important? <laughs> no, I mean, there's nothing I can really think. You know, the thing I, I would just constantly uh, try to push out there, especially in the Tucson community, exactly what I did before in the Tucson community. You know, I think that in this day and age, especially with COVID, it, it becomes increasingly important that we reach out to people. I mean, maybe not physically, but there's tons of people that are emotionally isolated right now. And, this is a good chance for us to reach out to those people and just let them know that you care. I don't think that, I think that some people get caught up and say, okay, well, what do I say? What type of conversation do I have? And sometimes it's not even about the conversation. It's about just saying, Hey, I just want to let you know you're being thought of and how that can change someone's day and change their perspective. It's kind of like, uh, I always said this when I'm sitting in the elevator with someone, I'm the person that's, you, you should not expect me to stay quiet in the corner. I'm going to say, hello, how you doing? How's your day going? And I just feel that there's uh, always some small thing, gesture we can do that can really change someone's day completely, more so than what we understand. And and to search out those opportunities, search out those moments of inspiration that we have that we don't feel as much, but it can change someone's life. I think we all have a story of when someone said that one little thing to us or did that one little thing or smiled a certain way to us and how it changed our day that, that day. And they may not have known it. But for us, it meant the world. And every day we're blessed with these opportunities to do those type of things and to take full advantage of them and wake up with the knowledge of those things. So. I think that's beautiful. You're amazing. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I wanted to ask before we close it up, what um, are you the most proud of so far in your life? That is an extremely easy question. My children. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, boys, you hear daddy. He's got love for you. As I said before, we all make mistakes as um, as parents, as people. But, you know, the one mistakes that I never made were my children. Ooh, that's awesome. I made, made missteps as a father. Um, having them is the greatest joy in my life. 
That's beautiful. All right. Second question. What's your favorite quote? Ooh, my favorite quote. Oh, I really don't have a favorite quote that I live by, but I can only think the first one that popped in my head when you said that to me. Um, one of my favorite authors, Khalil Gibran, he wrote The Prophet. That's probably his most popular book that people know. And one of the uh, quotes he gave was, my struggles have taught me to better understand the struggles of others. Oh, that's a good one. And I think that kind of resonates well with me because, you know, if you've been through enough in your life, you understand that everyone goes through stuff in their life. And if you can have that empathy and sympathy with other people, it'll give you just a better sense of peace in your dealings with other people. I love that quote. And the last is what's your favorite book? My favorite book. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. You, I, just asked the quote. I would probably I the, book, the Prophet by Khalil Gibran. It's such a. I, it was pivotal in a very um, transitional portion of my life, and just gave me a different perspective on life and the world. If anyone has ever read it, if you haven't, I suggest you do. It's a very simple read. It's one you could sit down and read the entire book in one sitting, and really just talks about different situations in life and emotional states and the way he perceived it. I don't want to kind of give away the whole book, but it's an, it's an amazing book and it's very short. It broadens your horizons and gives you different perspectives and really finds ways in which to articulate things in which uh, I never could at that point in my life. That's, that's awesome. Well, thank you for um, taking the time to be on. It's just such an honor no, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing with this. I think this is amazing. Just giving people different views of different people's lives and just enhancing people's lives through what you're doing. And I just feel you're being a tool in the hand of God, just working magic. So thank you for what oh, you're doing. Wow. And I'm, I'm supremely honored to be a part of this program. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Coach Joseph Blair. For show notes and more information about other podcasts, you can visit www.hearttotalk.com or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'll be back in two weeks.